My name is Rand Eberhard, and I have the great honor and privilege and blessing of not only sharing with each of you this morning about my faith, hope, and love in Christ, but also uh, to stand and, and honor Jonathan, who so faithfully serves us in this church at the 9 a.m., and uh, each of you that are a part of what God is doing uh, in and through this worship experience and this body of Christ. Uh, thank you for being here. I get to serve as also the director of congregational care, and a large part of my ministry day-to-day -day is both response to the crises of our, our community, our, ch our church, our world, and then the restoration part of ministry, being sent in Jesus' name on a mission of reconciliation. And that's what we're all called to, and this morning, that's what I want to talk about a bit out of Isaiah. So let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to stand faithfully on the foundation that's unwavering, the truth of God, the gospel of peace entrusted each of us, the invitation of God on each of our lives to simply surrender, that we get out of our own way, trusting that the cross holds the tension of our lives, that you, Jesus, have modeled for us in your incarnate ministry, Christ in the flesh, the truth of God accounted for in the word, the perfect word of God that we can look to and hold our lives up to and have something to surrender to with clarity of purpose that goes beyond circumstances. So Lord, visit with us this morning, bless us, that the word might take deep root in our hearts and yield the fruit of the spirit. Thank you for each of our parts in it. Bless me as I attempt to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can I take this off? Yeah. So um, I was reminded this morning, like I was a year ago, that today is my 19th anniversary to Jenny, my wife. Uh, <laughs> we've been, we've been, I've been pursuing her relentlessly for 21 years. And she turns her attention to me periodically over the course of many decades here. Uh, a year ago, we were sitting in the Italian McDonald's that a lot of people would know as uh, Olive Garden. And we had forgot. <laughs> that's, that's a bad shot, I know. But uh, and we were reminded that it was our anniversary. So I'm doing a terrible job of remembering what matters most. Uh, I will get better. I just want to encourage each of you uh, that the Lord knows you. He is drawing your heart for his purposes. And our part in the economy of God, the invitation of the Lord, uh, is surrender, is laying our lives down, is recognizing that the world presents many things, many things that uh, appeal to the senses that turn our attention away from what matters most. And our part simply is surrendering our will, our thought life, our hearts, our purpose to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So be encouraged that he knows you by name, he created you for a purpose, and he's invited you to go deeper with him to make him known in our world. It's an incredible honor for each of us to 
be included in the most significant uh, event in human history, the gospel of peace taking root in our hearts and lives and making the Lord known in all areas that he entrusts us. A welcome to my friend, uh, Lucas, who is originally from Spain, and he plays on the KSU golf team. Uh, my uncle Greg, who's a retired minister here sitting with my mom and dad and daughter. Um, thank you for being here. Thank each of you for creating space today to engage uh, the Lord on a personal level. The idea of delayed obedience essentially is struggle. When we struggle with the things that the Lord invites us to, it's because we want to do what we want to do, and we want what we want, and we want it now. It's the addict mentality, essentially. And a lot of you know my story and know the story of grace and mercy on my life. Um, but for those that don't, I am completely the product of grace. From worldly terms, I should not be standing here both physically as a living being, but also as a minister of, of the gospel. Um, but it's because of the Lord that each of us have been set free from ourselves, set free from the world, and entrusted with much. So being part of this product of grace is a decision on a daily basis. And a short little thought on one of the reasons that hinder us from experiencing the fullness of life especially if you're a person who's grappling with the tension to choose self or the kingdom of God. If you want to know God's will from your life, serve somebody. It's as simple as that. And that's what this text is about. If you want to know what the Lord has called you to, lay your life down. An interpersonal argument and tension, that looks like giving up your right to be right. It looks like not having the final word. It's a discipline. The cross is a discipline. To lay our lives down willfully, and eventually our feelings will follow up with that. We often are guided by our feelings. We allow anger to tell us what to do. We allow sadness to prevent us from engaging the world. And for a time, if we're grieving, that's completely understandable. But indefinitely, our lives should look like the resurrected Christ that entrusts to us the Holy Spirit and fruit evidence that we are in fact surrendered. And Jesus said, judge them by their fruit. Against such thing, there's no law. So you can't theologize or, or restore to correct uh, someone that is functioning apart from the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. You can't you can't bring a person to a selflessness place unless fruit is, in fact, on your life. So it's important to be informed with truth and shaped by that on a heart's level and vibrant with the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of the Lord that is transcendent, doesn't make sense in the natural. One of the things that prevent people from coming to terms with exactly this is this concept of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? A short story of this, this blockade in a person's faith journey it goes like this. One person asked a seminary professor, why would a just, loving, faithful God 
allow such and such to happen in our world or happen to me. And then the uh, professor thought for a minute and he said, how could a faithful, just, loving God not strike me down right where I stand? And a lot of you have heard that, but it frames in this concept of being included in spite of ourselves, being called and restored and set free and entrusted and empowered to go and be like Jesus himself. We don't deserve anything. God has given us everything. He's entrusted us. He loves us. Jesus made history starting in a humble place in a spirit of love and acceptance and allowing each of us space to respond. We can embrace the same truth today. Joy comes from understanding this. For God did not send his son into the world, John 3, 17, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What prevents us from embracing on a personal level this peace of God? We all want help until we get it. We say, I'm open to change as long as it doesn't require something of me. Who can relate to that? We all want accountability until we get it. If someone asks for help and then tells you how to help them, they really don't want help. So a part of uh, the calls that come into me as a, as a restoration worker, a recovered person, walking out sobriety in Christ alone, I don't try to stay sober, thank the Lord, and I've been sober over 20 years. It's God's doing. But everybody wants you to help them until you start calling in a game plan, right? So part of a transformation in life is a death to self. And in a death to self, mourning the loss of a lifestyle is central to change on a heart level. And that's where the Lord has come in, and that's where prophetically Isaiah speaks to what is to come for a people that were failing at getting it right. So one of the questions you might ask yourself, do I want to feel better or get better? Because feelings are indicators, but they're not always based in truth. Getting better requires death and surrender. And in that comes new life. Another part of this hindrance is our thought life. A study shows that if you get eight hours of sleep each night, you're awake for 16, you have about 6.5 thoughts per minute, that's 6,240 thoughts a day. What does our attention turn to? Are we embracing the Lord on a personal level? Do we deal with our problems as they are and not become our problem? For instance, is anger marked in our lives? Is the right to be right evident in how you engage on an interpersonal level? So the question that we ask ourselves is, where does the cross need to come in? Where do I need to die to self? Where do I need to give up? Fleeting thought becomes obsessive thought when we latch onto things that are exactly that. Isaiah 26, three through four, these are, this is foundationally what deals with thought life. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. A mind set on the Lord is a mind full of peace. 
Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Where is our attention? What consumes us? And above all, are we waiting in exiles as servant leaders of Christ? The work of Christ, he will be a covenant for the people. He will be a light to the nations. Through Israel, though Israel faltered, the servant Jesus didn't and won't. Those who are blind to God won't be. He will set the world right, conformity to the way of wisdom, breaking idols. The servant is tender in his task. He doesn't come to end us. He supports us to help us. The bruised reed to stand firm again. Some context in Isaiah. Isaiah's message of judgment and hope for Jerusalem after a time of exile. Isaiah hope was for a new restored kingdom through the future messianic king. Chapters 40 through 48 announce that the future hope will come in Christ. God's spirit was upon the servant for a special task. There are four servant songs in Isaiah. This is the first of four. So what is our personal restoration ministry? What form and function personally can we relate to as we look at the example of the Israelites who were wandering in exile in the previous chapters and contemplating entering into the promised land and coming out of exiles, waiting on the perfect king, the perfect example of what we are to be. And that king didn't come on their terms. They were anticipating what it might look like according to that that they would get behind willfully with a passion that goes beyond circumstance. We have the same tendencies. We fail, we're sinful, we're faithless, we waver in our purpose, and we wait on God to come and meet us on our terms. But the Lord is knocking on the door, and at some point, point he won't. Our timeline is one of eternity. We either abide in the things that bring life and secure us eternally by confession that Jesus is Lord and we are not. And when we surrender our lives and by faith and through the grace of God, we're included in his purpose. We're not only promised a place in eternity and Christ alone, but we're entrusted to be part of a king army that is winning. What form and function does this take? Meaning, what shape does this ministry on your life, what, this calling on your life, what does it look like? The how that you go about the purpose that God has you on this earth. The function, meaning what you're trying to accomplish. The happiest, most productive person is he or she with clarity of purpose. And if your purpose is kingdom-minded, the kingdom of God, and your purpose is truth and restoration, restoring people to the Father's will, the truth about you. The truth about you is what God says. It's not about feelings. It's not about regret. It's not about uh, living in the past and wishing things differently or sitting in your problems as if your life is uh, less fortunate than the other person. The truth is that Jesus came into this world. He laid his life down. He lived sinlessly and perfect and included you in this mission of restoration. 
our part is confession, that we need you, Lord. Humility to lay our lives down, allowing God to sit on the throne of our lives. And in that sequence, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that should give us the power and the purpose to overcome whatever life presents. Illness, finances, interpersonal problems, fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, whatever any of us grapple with, the Lord has given us a direction to face and a place to be in Christ. Key themes, holiness, judgment, salvation, Jesus, hope, No matter how difficult our situation is or becomes or how evil our world is, we continue to be God's faithful people who hope for his return, waiting with vibrant fruit. We're waiting in exile as servants faithful in his teaching. In Isaiah 41, verse 8 through 10, it sets up perfectly 42, 1 through 9. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the furthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. And do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The words to the Israelites from God, from Isaiah, the voice of the Lord, prophetically. And chapter 42 begins with a prophecy concerning the Messiah, the coming God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations." Servant, in context here, Israel, God's covenant people, or King Cyrus of Persia, this is theological studies around what in fact is the servant here. Uh, The Israelites failed and could not uphold God's plan, so we are giving an, uh, an increasing hope in Christ, restoring shalom to the world. So it is understood that there is a transition from the Israelites as the servant to Jesus himself, the, the uh, prophetic words of Isaiah helping us turn our attention to the coming Christ and helping in the original audience to understand the Israelites coming out of exile at the invitation to get out of their own way, to die to self, to anticipate the coming king and prepare their lives accordingly. The Father assigned Jesus his work, the Son of God who was chosen to be the Lamb slain for the redemption of man and appointed to be the mediator between God and man. Jesus came to finish his mission and finish it with excellence, which he did. That was to live a perfect life without sin, to die on a cross, and to show the world an example of this gentle spirit, this love, this compassion that transcends understanding is certainly countercultural at the time and is in our modern time. It's with his suffering and death and peace and reconciliation 
We're made right with God. We're all subject to his rule. We're all subject to his authority. And whether we like that or not, the Lord, in fact, will be who we stand before and give account for who we put our trust in. In verse 2, he says, He will not shout or cry or raise his voice in the streets. Quiet, submissive demeanor of Christ. Jesus was tender to the weak and uninformed. He entered into a person's situation and he stayed there with empathy. We can learn a lot from this text about ourselves. We can learn a lot about a God of compassion, the father of all comfort. And I often uh, reference that verse when when I minister to people that are dealing with the heaviness of life, that we do in fact have a father of compassion and the God of all comfort that enters into our world and feels with us. And he's entrusted us to lay our lives down just as Jesus did. Verse three, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will bring comfort and encouragement to the weak and the oppressed by his courage and clarity of purpose. He binds up the brokenhearted. We don't have to try to be better. We don't have to try to bring resolution to the tension that we feel in this world, the fear of the future, anxiety, resentment, unforgiveness, uh, habit-forming issues that all of us have that become strongholds in our lives is we bring these things before the Lord on a daily basis and sometimes on a moment-by-moment basis, can we lay before, set before the cross and bring all of the heaviness before the Lord himself, trusting that he is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort? And it is in that place that he will meet us, pouring out the balm of Gilead, his own blood, the new wine and his oil of his love, he encourages us in our application for salvation. Jesus restores, comforts, and revives the soul of those who will turn their hearts to him. In verse four, he will not falter or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Uh, every time I go down to St. Simon's, for some reason, this verse comes to mind because I saw it somewhere down there on a sticker. Uh, in the island, the islands will put their hope. The Golden Isles, I think this was just for them and no one else. <laughs> he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. A just God who's patient, but there will be a time where He is true to his name and where the door will no longer have a knock upon it, meaning the doors of our hearts, that we either open the door for the Lord Jesus to walk through or we don't. And you've heard me say in the past, most likely some of you have, that as a former youth pastor in the city of Atlanta for 16, 17 years, students would always waver in about the 10th grade and they would hold out on God and say, yeah, I tried the God thing, it didn't work for me. 
And my response back is and was, well, did you ever hunger and thirst for righteousness? That always hits them. Because you either did that or you didn't. And you can be true, you can be honest with yourself or not. For all of us that are on the fringe of yes or no to God, and you're waiting on the Lord to meet you on his terms just as the Israelites did, let me ask you, will you hunger and thirst for righteousness? And Jesus says in Matthew 5 that you will be filled. Our part is to hunger and thirst for the bread of life, the sustenance, to feast on the word, not just chip around with a little devotional here and there and feel like you've done your Christian duty, but to see who it is that God says you are, to see what he says about our world, past, present, and future, and how the living God is with us in the turmoil. Jesus didn't fail. His mission moves forward, and he has included us. So don't be discouraged. Jesus didn't sink beneath death, but he endured all with an invincible courage and resolution of mind. What can we learn from his example? Do we finish the assignment or do we conform to the pressure? In verse five, this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens and earth stretched them out. He spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. God has given us a spirit and a reasonable soul, the faculty of intelligence, and the capacity for understanding things above all the Holy Spirit, the truth, Jesus, and God the Father. Are we turning our attention to these things or are we moving our lives apart from him, waiting on our feelings to follow up, waiting on the events of our lives to be easier? Verse six, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. Jesus came with full concern to fulfill his righteous purpose concerning the world, the welfare and salvation of his people. He received strength to go through his work and to overcome death. Jesus, through the ministry of the word and by his spirit, was a light Unto them and us, we have the perfect example through the incarnate ministry of Jesus in our world. Verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. The darkness of thought life, being consumed with 6,200-something thoughts a day, being overwhelmed with these fleeting thoughts that become obsessive thoughts waiting on God on your terms. The fear of the future, the fear of failure, the fear of man, meaning the fear of people and social anxiety and what's expected of me if I go there socially, a question commonly asked by all of us. What's required of us is service, a life laid down, surrender, compassion that goes beyond understanding, a love that goes beyond circumstances, grace and mercy and faithfulness, that you are in fact predictable in who you are and who God says you are. You're not wildly mad in this facet of life or avoiding others or self-righteous or 
dealing with self-pity or self-condemnation, whatever is holding you back from the fullness of life, ask the Lord to come into that and reshape your thought life. Jesus fulfills the call of him whose name is Jehovah and whose glory is incommunicable to any creature whose knowledge reaches to future things. The people of God were in exile, questioning the very justice of God who would have allowed his people to suffer. Words about justice and freedom would certainly serve to comfort my people, said in Isaiah 41. Also of the idolatrous Gentiles who were spiritually blind and knew not of their own condition and need for a savior. They were in a prison of sense to sin, to Satan, a state of darkness, just as we are apart from God. In verse 8, I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. Flee from idolatry. Don't have anything in your life that's more important to you than the Lord himself and your faith and your growing hope, your anticipation of the coming Christ, preparing your life in such a way that you can stand humbled, that you have the opportunity to enter into eternity, life on a timeline, life that doesn't start with you and end with you, and you'd made your best effort and you acquired everything you thought you needed to be happy, but life on a timeline. The sun is the brightness of his father's glory, and the spirit is the spirit of glory. The final verse, see the formal thing, former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. There are more servant songs in Isaiah that you can go read about, and they're a part of a larger message. And in closing, in 2 Peter 1.19, says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. I, I encourage you to go look at 2 Peter 1.19 and understand the truth and the application there and how it ties this message into its conclusion. Where you feel most weak and fragile, it is in that place that the servant himself turns his attention to you, your life, and he is with you in it. How might you be a servant, faithful in the very place that our loving God has entrusted you? A verse that I share often um, when I have the great honor of uh, ministering the gospel in the context of a funeral is 2 Corinthians 2.14, and it says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of knowledge of him. You've been entrusted. Will you be led as part of the conquering king's army as his servant? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in spite of us, you use us. 
So help us, Lord, to condition our hearts differently with truth that transforms, the truth, the perfect truth of God's word, that we be entrusted with the gospel of peace and his mission moving forward, that people see in us the resurrected Christ and are drawn to your glory through the fruit of the spirit in our lives, but more importantly, the word that is immovable and perfect and faithful Your word does not return void to you. So Lord, entrust us that these seeds of truth grow deep in our hearts and you enable us by your grace to live them out in this world as the people of God. Bless us as we go about in Jesus' name, amen.